0: Well, we're uh, looking at the uh, Christian life. Let me get this up here. If I can get it, okay. And this is the walk of the Christian life. If you look at your, your little book and you don't have to take your the time, there's three lessons on the Christian life. There's the walk of the Christian life, the warfare of the Christian life, and then basically the purpose of the Christian life. And we're going to see a lot of great things. So we're moving from our study of, we'd say, eternal life salvation uh, to what often is called the Christian life. Now, uh, you, you realize there's, a th- there's justification. I'm not going to write the whole word out. Sanctification and glorification, okay justification basically deals with eternal life salvation we by faith in Christ we're saved and saved forever we're justified that's eternal life sanctification deals with the Christian life as we are being saved so to speak we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ that's what we're fixing to be studying that's what we're going to be looking and then there's glorification which is actually a future aspect and, and when basically our standing and our state come together we get to be with Jesus Christ for him uh, with him forever and so we're now looking at this. We spent a good bit of time looking at this, and now we're going to be looking at the Christian life. And a lot of times, Christian life is confused. You've heard of people say things like the, the, uh, Great commandment, you know, and they came to Jesus and they were trying to trick him. And what is the great commandment? There were, you know, 613 or 618, just according to how you count them. Uh, commandments in the Old Testament, they thought they'd get Jesus by saying, what is the great greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord you God with all your heart and all your soul. And the second is equal to it. You love your neighbor as yourself. And so w- when, when you think about the great commandment, then you've also heard of the great commission. And the great commission is what we're really talking about. That's the Christian life. Because the Great Commission is to make what? Disciples. That's what it is. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it deals with two things, evangelism and training. The evangelism deals with this part. We lead people to Christ, and then the training deals with this part. And what one of the goals, one of the things we have that we want for every believer that connects with our church is they get to a point where they are a disciple so they can make disciples. That's the plan. And we're to to be disciples so that we can lead other people to Christ and train them and equip them. So one of the reasons you're taking the two two, or you have taken the four twelve, and all was going. To, it's so that you get to a point where you know what you believe. You're ready to give an answer to others that the help, for the hope that is within you, and you can take basic truths. You could take people through the four twelve. You could even take people through the two two, and and so that's really the goal. and And the course plan is when we're talking about this is to be. If you notice, it says we move from the study of salvation to the study of the Christian life. The plan is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's Romans eight twenty nine. And so, when we look at this, the Christian life. Let's let's define the Christian life. And here's what we see: the Christian life is the time period from salvation, from the time we put our faith in Jesus Christ, until we depart, either by death or the rapture. We could even say it, it's the time of our salvation until either we die and go to be with the Lord that way, to be absent from the body, is present with the Lord, or He comes and gets us in the clouds and so that's a it's a really powerful great truth and so we think about it, the christian life is this short it's really a short period of time and uh and we realize that what we do and here's a great truth what we do in this short period of time is going to have repercussions for for all eternity because if we live righteously and godly and serve the lord and do all the great stuff and then we'll serve him for all eternity and, and and we'll hear him say well done good and faithful servant but if we don't live righteously and godly if we don't serve him if we don't use our gifts, talents, abilities. We'll be ashamed that it's coming, and for all eternity we'll probably we'll have places of service, but it won't be what it might could have been and so we're going to 'll we'll talk about that. We walk by faith and it is, I like to say this, and we 'll talk about it at the very end. The Christian life I call it, it is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of god that 's what it really is, and our goal is to be a spiritual person we 're going to talk more about that, what does it mean to be spiritual? And our ultimate goal is to be a mature person, and we 're going to see in just a little bit that uh, being a spiritual person and being a mature person are two different things and we 'll talk just a little bit about that so let 's let 's talk about the walk of the Christian life because we 've got the walk, the warfare, and the purpose and let 's talk about the the walk and when we talk about the walk uh, the 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 Christian life is described in a lot of different ways. The first one, if you can just put it down there, is running the race. Like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, you know, we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. Let's lay aside anything slowing us down and let's run with endurance the race set before us. So sometimes the Christian life is described as a race. You know, a lot of times the writers in the Bible, they used athletic type terms to describe the Christian life. Sometimes it's called like a boxing match, you know where Paul says, I do not box uncertain, or just boxing the air. He says, I'm boxing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do the right way. The third thing, sometimes it's called a wrestling match. A wrestling, Paul, in Ephesians, he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so our Christian life is a wrestling match, so to speak. But really, the most common way that the New Testament or the Christian life walk is described in the New Testament is walking. It's walking, it's one step at a time Walking moment by moment, step by step. That's really the, 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 the way it is. It's a, the walk of the Christian life. And I think of verses like, walk worthy of your calling, and uh, the, we walk by faith and not by sight, those kind of things. And I've got for you there the verse 2 Peter three eighteen. 18. Look what it says. Grow in the grace And knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I put that verse up there because we all talk about the walk of the Christian life. We all talk about growing as a Christian. And in that particular verse, he says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And you know, they really go together. A lot of people say, Grow in grace. And grace is grasping, understanding how God deals with us. And he deals with us in grace. But he also says, To grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And really, you got to grow in grace and knowledge, and you have to have both. The old saying is, if it's only grace, you might get to the part where you just do whatever you want to do. And if it's only knowledge, then it becomes legalism, and you put rules and all kinds of things on people. So you really got to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's really how it works. I've got a verse, and I, I think I, I think I put it up here. Yeah, I got it here. I want you to look at this. This is Ephesians 4. I've got, I think it's also down on your thing. It says that as a rule, we're no longer what? No longer what? Children. Now, this is the plan. You know, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you're like a baby. And it basically says, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word. And you start out just like in like when a little person is born. There they are, this little baby. And you have to take care of them. And then they get to the point where they can do things. And then they get to a certain point. And listen, if you get... Older, and you can't feed yourself, and you, you know, you, you know somebody's saying, something wrong with you. I mean, you know, you're, you need to grow up. Well, so what happens with Christians. We start off as baby Christians, right? And, and we're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the Word. But we know people who've been Christians 20 and 30 years, and they don't know any more than they knew the day they trusted Christ. Because they've never grown. And so he says, as a result, here's what we are no longer children. We're no longer to be infants. We're no longer to be little ones, tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. But what we're supposed to do is speak the truth in love, and we're to grow up in all aspects. And so the second thing is to grow. To grow up. And let me tell you, how, how can you tell? How can you tell if you're maturing as a christian how can you tell if you're beginning to grow and here's one of the ways let's say that it's when you can begin to discern and let's say that you you heard me say uh that salvation is by faith alone and christ alone plus nothing and then you turn on the radio and you hear somebody say you need to turn away from all your sins and give your life to jesus and make a public profession well you're beginning to grow and you can say that's wrong or that's not what i see in the bible or that, 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 that's not it. I'm beginning to, to no longer be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. I have to tell the story. This has been a, this has been a long time ago, over 20 years ago. I had a, a, a family, a man and a wife, come up and they say, we're really struggling. I said, why? They said, because I come to church and I hear you say that salvation is a gift by faith in Christ plus nothing and you're saved and you're saved forever. He said, I, I hear that. Then we go home. And we turn on the radio and we hear somebody like John MacArthur or something else who says that salvation is discipleship. It's serving God, it's living for God. And if you don't, and so what over here we, we hear you and it seems right. And then we go over here and we hear him and it seems right. Well, where are they in this thing? They're still what? They're still children being tossed to and fro because they hadn't known they don't even know what they believe yet. They don't know what the scripture says. They haven't been able to put it together. And our goal is this. We want to be no longer Children going back and forth every time we hear something, we say, Is that right? I don't, that sounds right. Is this right? I, we want you to know the Bible enough to say, This is what's right. This is how it fits together. This is what this says. And, and that's why we want to be able to, to do that. So we want you to grow and mature. No longer children, but in love we're to grow and be mature. That's really the blanks that, that that you could fill in. If you if you turn, I guess, I think you're, I don't know if you're. I don't know if the new books are the same as some of my old notes and everything. But if, if you get to to the next page, or it talks about the walk of the Christian life. And if you notice, there's Colossians two six. It says, "Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye him in him." It's a walk of what? It's a walk of faith. How did you receive Christ? By what? By faith. How do you to walk the Christian life? by faith that's what's supposed to happen a walk of faith and then look at Ephesians 4:1 therefore i the prisoner of the lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called what are you called child of god, child of god. you're called saints And so he says, walk in a manner worthy of being a child of God. Walk worthy in the manner of being, uh, you know, a a, a saint. We call saints, which means set apart ones. So this is a worthy walk. And then you get to Ephesians 5, and and I love Ephesians 5. He says, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, gave himself for us, as an aroma and a sacrifice to God. We walk in love. Now there's three aspects there. We walk in love. Which, think about this, and this is, what did Jesus say? They'll know you're my disciples by your what? Your love, one for another. I mean, let me tell you, if you want to be different than the whole rest of the world, just love people. Just love people. I mean, you know, it's easy to love each other. It's easy to love the body. I mean, well, well no, it's not that easy. But anyway. <laughs> But, you know, So we love the body, but then you get out in the real world and it's not that easy. And, and we're to walk in love just as Christ loved us. And then the second aspect, we're to walk in light. You were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the world. Walk as children of light. So we're to walk in light. And then there's one last one, and that is, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. We walk in love and light and wisdom. So, all of those are ways to describe the Christian life. So, have you thought about that? I mean, think about what we've seen. We've talked about growing. We've talked about walking worthy. We've talked about walk of faith. We talk about walking in light, walking in love, walking in wisdom. We're talking about walking not as children tossed to and fro, but growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So, we start talking about the Christian life. I mean, the, the, the word walk is used all over the place, and there's a reason for that. I mean, running is one because he's, his idea there is run with endurance. It's a long, distance run. But walking is something that's just day after day, step after step. And one of the things I've, I've just seen all my life is, you know, you, you trust in Christ. And from that point on, I mean, it is a day after day after day after day after day. That's what it is. It's day after day after day after day, step by step by step by step. And 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 sometimes, let me erase this, but when we think about growing and we think about living for Christ and we think it ought to be this way. We think, okay, I trust Christ right here. I, he, I put my faith in Christ right there. And so here I am. So I'm a new Christian. And so I'm just growing. Boy, I'm Right? That's what we think. But here's what it really is. <laughs> right? I mean, sometimes we're, sometimes we're sort of on. You know, have you known people that, I mean, they're on fire for two weeks and then you don't see them for two years? I mean, it's just back and forth, and, and you know, I, I remember, I mean, there are times in my life, I trusted Christ when I was 19, and for about six months, man, I mean, I, everything was new to me. I mean, it was new. I went home and told my mom and daddy. I led my mother to Christ. I mean, we, I mean, it was just, and then I got back to school because I trusted Christ in February, went through spring, then went home for the summer. When I came back to school in the fall, I wasn't on fire. And for the next year or two, I just kind of drifted around. You know and then I, and then, and then i it got better, and then I went to Mississippi State as a coach, and for the first month, about two years uh that was not a very good time for me it wasn't I mean it was a great time, but not a good time for growing as a believer and then you know some things happened, and I really started growing, so you know that's the way we are, and we say, look, we want to walk in love and light and wisdom, we want to walk worthy, we want to walk by faith, and so the goal and here's the thing and and the goal of the Christian life. And the goal of the Christian is ultimately maturity and spirituality. It is not a humanly good life, but a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it's really what it boils down to, a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say it's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. And we'll talk more about that right at the end. That's just something I want you to see at the end. Um, it's amazing how that the world, or what I call religion, gets it backwards. We trust Christ and then we need to live what? Live good, right? They say Love, live good so you can be saved. We say we're saved, live good. They say live good, be saved. I mean, you all talk to people all the time. What do they say? What do you have to do to go to heaven? Well, you... You got to live a good life. You got to keep the Ten Commandments. Or you got to join a church. Or you got to give. You know, you got to give your life to Jesus. To, and so people are so confused, and we spend a lot of time on that. I forgot to bring the book, but Charles Riley has a book called "Balancing the Christian Life." I, I, I don't. I just. I didn't bring it. Uh, it's probably one of the best books I've ever read, just on Christian life. Charles Riley, I think, is the greatest theologian of the twentieth century. And the reason he's not the greatest theologian in the 21st century, he's dead. But anyway, he's uh, he's great. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary. And I mean, he could say in one paragraph like that long what most people would say in two or three pages. He's just amazing. And he has a book called Balancing the Christian Life. If you're looking for just a book to read, dealing with the Christian life, that's probably one of the best. And and you can still get it. And uh, yeah, I, I'll bring it next week. I, forget, I don't know why I didn't bring it. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the Christian life. And let's talk about The walk, and let's talk about factors. Now, this is going to be the first part, maybe going to be a little different uh, than when, when I say the words. You're going to think one thing, but I'm going to tell you it's a different thing, and I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. When we talk about the factors that affect spiritual maturity, there are three things. First of all, there's change, there is control. And there is time. These are the three. These are three factors that affect our spiritual maturity. In other words, it's going to affect our growth. And we're going to look at it. And when I say change, and I'll, I'll talk about it in just a minute, I'm not talking about uh, 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 a changed life that you're going to start growing as a Christian. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying the factors that are going to affect your spiritual maturity are there's a change, there's control. And there's time. So let's talk about change first of all. And when I talk about change, it's how God changes us at salvation. We're not talking about the Christian life. We're not talking about living a different kind of life. We're talking about what happens at salvation. Because there's a change that happens the moment you believe and without this change, you can't. You can't. First of all, you can't grow as a Christian because you're not a Christian. You can't grow without the change. And so we want to talk about that. Uh, uh, this is something that happens the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there are two things that we're just going to mention. Listen, there. Louis Berkhof, the founder of Dallas Seminary, at his, in his uh, systematic theology, says there are. 30, he has listed 33 things that happen to you the moment you believe. 33 things. I'm just going to give you two of them tonight. I mean, there's a bunch, right? There's a bunch of different things that happen the moment you believe. But we're just going to talk about two different aspects that happen that's going to help us as far as our Christian life. The first one is regeneration, and the second one is indwelling, okay? There's so many more. I am just wanted to just... This study is going to impact with these two things. This is the change. We are regenerated... And we are indwelled. And so I want you to, to uh, understand that. This is what happens at salvation. As you've seen me draw this many times since I was an art major, I was in college, and so you can tell that I've drawn really well. But this, we have a body, we have a soul, have a conscience, have a flesh. That's an unbeliever. The mo- that, and, that, and so the body holds everything together. The soul represent, uh, relates to the world. The conscience is the right from wrong. Everybody's got a conscience. We've got the law written on our hearts. After the fall, God said to and Eve, now that you know right from wrong, that's the conscience. And then there's the flesh, which is the bent to sin. It's in every person. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ and you become a believer, we're talking about you're regenerated. And this is being born again. And... Born again and regeneration, that's the same thing. You become spiritually alive. And I put, I put human spirit. Because you were dead spiritually. Now you're alive spiritually. And then the second thing that we're just talking about. There's so many other things. The second thing is the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Now this is the change... That is the key to help us grow as a believer. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we're regenerated, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And we'll talk about this, and this is where we're going to get a little bit more of the details. So let's, let's talk about uh, regeneration, okay? Let's talk about, well, regeneration, here it is, it's the act And you can write this down. What is regeneration? It is the act by which God gives spiritual life to the one who believes. You remember, this is one of the terms. Remember, we talked about these terms when we did back in lessons like uh, 12, 13, 14. Those lessons all dealt with those terms. And one of them was regeneration. And that was the act by which God gives spiritual life to the believer. People say, what is the offer?" Let me get if, 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 When y'all get that written down, just kind of look up or let me know. When we say we're telling people about salvation, what is the offer that we're telling them? What? Eternal life. You remember why? Because they are what? They're dead. They're dead in trespasses and sins. And if the person dies physically... If they come into this world spiritually dead and they die physically, they suffer what is called the second death, which is eternal separation from God. What does a person need? They don't need dead. They need what? Life. Life. And that's what we say, God gives to them eternal life. And so this is where regeneration comes in, that you're born again, now you're, you're made spiritually alive, connected with Jesus Christ. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell. So regeneration is an act by which God gives spiritual life to the one who believes this is the key to this whole thing and so we're going to think about this thing uh, christian life the walk and and then he says in ephesians 2 5 even when we were what what were we we were dead in our trespasses and sins he has made us alive and then he goes on in ephesians and says not only did he make us alive he made us alive together with christ and is by grace you know where christ is Christ died and what? Rose again and he seated with the Father. Is that right? Okay. He says that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you died and rose again with Christ and you've been raised up and seated with the Father. And so you're alive in Christ. And then he says, by the way, he he gets to it later in 8 and 9, but he says in verse 5, he couldn't stop it. He said, I just got to say by grace you've been saved through faith. It's just that good, right? He said, I I don't want to wait till verse 8 and 9. I'm just going to give it to you in verse 5, too. When you were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Jesus Christ. Oh, it's so good. That's why uh, where Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And, and the word again, by the way, is anah, which means again. It's a pr- preposition in Greek, and it means again, or it can mean above. So when he said you must be born again, he could say you must be born above. And it's true. It's a spiritual birth. It's not only being born again that you were dead, but now you're alive. But it's the idea of being up. You're born uh, up. You're born from above. And that's what we have. And it's a great, great truth. Uh, we were dead in sin, but now we're spiritually alive in Christ. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creature, a new creation. This is us. This is the new you. I've said this a lot, and and you may get tired of hearing it, but the truth is this. You are a new creation in Christ with spiritual gifts, with the Holy Spirit, seated with the Father in the heavenly places, and God can use you for His glory. We have Christians going around saying things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And they look at themselves and say, I'm just an old rugged sinner. No, no, you're not. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. Quit going through life acting like an old dead sinner when you're a new creation in Christ. That's who we are. And so he said, therefore, if any man's in Christ, we're what? What are we? We're a new creature. We're a new creation. That's who we are. That's who we are now. That's why when he says, live out who you are. Walk worthy of your calling. Who are you? You're a new creation in in Christ. It's really, really powerful stuff. Great, great truths. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. And then he gets into the indwelling, okay? Because the first one is the regeneration. The second one is the indwelling. And this is this part where the Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of us. Now, what's so amazing about this is if you go back to Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Judah and David and Solomon and Daniel and John the Baptist, none of them had the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit, only the church age, only us. And God did something so amazing. He put the body of Christ together, Jews and Gentiles who trust in Christ, placed us in one body, and allows the Holy Spirit to come inside the moment you believe, and the Holy Spirit is there forever for as long. you know. And so, so, and so he writes. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You have from God, and you're not your own. Do every one of us in this room? Know, we know Christ. Do we have the Holy Spirit actually living inside of us? We do. That's good and bad. If it's bad if you want to do something bad. If you want to do something wrong, because He never, you know, you can't get away. It's good as you seek to live for Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The Holy Spirit is indwelling in us, and it, it's powerful. And, and let me show you something else, which is, which is a verse that the uh, Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Now, look at this verse. Don't you, do you not know that you are a temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's 1 Corinthians 3.16. By the way, that's not, that's not individual. That's corporate. He's talking about the body of Christ there. It's a plural aspect. Don't you know that you are a temple of God? That's the church. The church is the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit dwells in a a way that's not just the individual but even the body of Christ. That's why he goes on in that passage and says if you try to destroy the body, God's going to destroy you. I mean, you you start going against the body of Christ, you know, because the gates of hell, what? Will never prevail. Never prevail. So every believer... Has the Holy Spirit. So the, the two things, first of all, is regeneration, you're a new person, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Corporally as a body, we are the temple of God. This is what amazes me. I, 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 we have membership training, and it's just amazing to me how many people have been taught things that aren't even biblical. You know, especially like the giving thing, this whole time. I ask how many, how many people are taught you're supposed to tithe, and every hand goes up. And yet, when you realize it, the, the New Testament doesn't even teach you about that. And I, I ask people, I say, how many of you are taught you need to repent of your sins every hand? How many give your life to Jesus, you know, walk down an aisle, you know, get back. Every hand's going up every time. Well, well another one is this, uh, that most people will say that room in there is the what? The sanctuary. Whoever came up with the idea that that's the sanctuary, that's the dwelling place of God? In fact, they're playing basketball in there right now, right? I mean, think about it. Where is the sanctuary? Where is the dwelling place of God? We are, first of all, the corporate body of Christ, the church, and every individual believer is the body of Christ or is where the Holy Spirit indwells. So we need to remember that. Okay, so the first big factor that we talk about, is the change that happens. And the change that happens is we become a new creation in Christ. We're born again, regenerated, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Now, that's, that's the means by which we're going to be able to grow, that we're going to be able to make a difference, okay? So here, by the way, if you do not, and look what he says here. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He's actually saying that anybody who is supposed to be a believer, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not a believer. Proof, every believer possesses the Holy Spirit. No, if you don't have the Spirit. Now, I I don't know how somebody knows whether they got the Spirit or not, but he basically says, you know, that all believers, bottom line, all the believers have the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is uh, the, the change that happens. Here's the second thing. And the second thing is control. If we're going to grow as a Christian, not only do we have to be changed, which we are, the Holy Spirit come, comes in and we've been regenerated, but we've also got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, what does it mean to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? It's God's power working through us. That's what it's really talking about. It's the Holy Spirit empowering and directing our lives. Listen, you cannot serve God in your power. What's our power called? The flesh. In fact it says in Romans that the flesh is enmity against God and cannot please him and doesn't even try to please him. But you have the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. This is it. That's why in the Galatians it says, Walk in the spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, they're contrary one to another. There's a battle going on inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the power in which we can live and make a, a difference. That's, that's kind of the key. And so we got here, i say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's Galatians 5, 16. Also Romans 8, 4 talks about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice he uses that same word. To walk, the idea of the Christian life, to walk by the Spirit, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Ephesians five eight says almost the same thing. It says a little bit different. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a reason that he put that together. We all know, this never happened to us, of course, but we all know people who drank too much. And when they drank too much, they get drunk. And when they get drunk, then... They are not in control anymore. In fact, the alcohol is controlling them. And so when Paul wrote this, he says, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. That's excess. But in the same way that wine controls you, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you, that's his point there and, and the idea is to keep on being filled with the Spirit, in fact the Greek here, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what button to push, oh yeah, this it actually means to keep on being filled it's an ongoing thing, it's not a one time deal, and so we think about how do we live this Christian life we have to live this Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit because he changed us we're a new person, and he gave us the power, and now he says, live in this power. Live it out. But it's not your power, it's God's power through you. And so, be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. So, how are we controlled by the Holy Spirit? Well, we choose not to live in sin. Adam and I, Adam has a great study on Romans chapter 6 and one of his, one of the classes he teaches. I think Romans chapter 6 is probably the key Golly, it is the key for the Christian life. And I think we've got some of it in, in this study. Not, not tonight, but we'll see it in the next couple of weeks. But the bottom line is you have a choice. You can either walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. You, you choose. We choose to yield to the Holy Spirit's control or we yield to the flesh. We daily feed the Spirit and focus on yielding control. And the idea meaning that we, we look at our life and say, Lord, take me, use me, use me for your glory. And realize that allowing the Holy Spirit to be in control makes us spiritual but not mature. Now, I I, I want to get to it in just a minute. And I want you to understand something. Um, How do I know as I go through life if I'm being controlled by the Holy Spirit or being controlled by the flesh? Galatians 5, 19. If this is what's coming out in your life, guess what? You're controlled by the flesh. Galatians 5, 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. That means you can see them. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousiness, and things like these. <laughs> that's what he writes. If any of that's in your life, guess who you're being controlled by? Your old flesh. But then he says, but... The fruit of the Spirit, that's what comes out when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you're angry and fussing at people and screaming, that's probably not the, the Holy Spirit, Right? You know, if if there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, that's probably the Holy Spirit. So think about that. That takes us really to our third area, time. It takes time to mature as a believer. Now, I want to show you something that a lot of people get confused on. There is a difference between being spiritual and being mature, you hear people say, oh, that's a, he's really a spiritual person. She's really a spiritual person. Well, the truth is this spiritual actually means being controlled by the Spirit. Mature has an idea of of, grown, of growth and we might even say being controlled by the Holy Spirit over time. Can a brand new believer be spiritual? Yes. You could, uh, you, could, you could trust Christ and 30 seconds later be a spiritual person because you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can a brand new believer be mature? No, it takes time. Or you understand the Word. You begin to make application. You begin to live it out. Can a mature believer be spiritual? Yes. Can a mature believer... Be fleshly, yeah. So don't use the term spiritual and mature as the same thing. They they actually aren't exactly the same aspect of it. So let's look at let's look at something it, it takes time for a person. There are stages of growth, and it's the top, uh, is like the top of a page. But here are the stages of growth as we begin as babies and then we grow to maturity. And I talked about that a little bit while ago when we talk about that you're coming this world and you're a brand new baby in Christ and you're to grow and you're to desire the sincere milk of the Word that you grow and you're to study to show yourself approved and you start growing and maturing and uh, applying and living out the truths of the Bible, those kind of things. And, and think about this. I, I mean, if you want to turn to Ephesians, you don't have to. We've got it up here. But this is Ephesians 4. Well, go ahead. Just turn to Ephesians, Ephesians 4. This is one of our famous passages in our church because... This is one of the passages that we talk about how we equip the saints to do the ministry. This is Ephesians 4, and this is basically 12 through 15. And I like really 12 through 16, but we just put on this for... And he talks about equipping the saints for the work of the service, the building up of the body of Christ. And so verse 12 says, equip the saints to do ministry. This is a thing that I think is overlooked. Many people in churches believe that it is the responsibility of the staff... To really oversee and do ministries, and they might get a few people that are in the church to help them. The truth is this: that it's responsibility of all believers to equip all other believers to do the ministry. Who does the ministry in the body? You do. You do. I'm just supposed to stay in the office, actually. You know. But no, the truth is we all do it, right? But we're to equip each other to do the work of the ministry. And then if you read verse 13, he says, Until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, till we all come to unity and knowledge and maturity. Let me tell you, if there's fussing and fighting, you don't have unity and maturity and knowledge. You don't have it. And when he says knowledge, he says knowledge of the Son of God. And that's saying, I'm knowing him. I'm knowing him in a great way. I'm growing. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. We want to know him. And so we're to grow. And the Christian life is we're equipping each other so that we can come to unity and knowledge and maturity. And then he says, no longer what? We already saw this one earlier. No longer what? No longer babies. No longer babies. We don't want to be babies. We don't want to be children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. We don't want to do that. But he says in verse 15, but to grow up to be like Christ. He says, no longer babies, but speaking the truth in love. Now, this is what I like. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up into all aspects. We speak what? The truth, and we speak it in love. And so that's why when somebody says, but you need to be really good to go to heaven, and we say, well, no, 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 we don't. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. We don't say you're an idiot and you don't know anything. No. We say, no, that's that's not right. We don't it's really faith alone in Christ alone. So that's the goal. As the Christian life, equipping the saints, do the work of the men, build up the body of Christ till we come to the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, the mature man, no longer children, grow up in like Christ. And it ends up by saying that the whole body comes together and everybody does their part. Everybody does their part. So that's, that's really what it boils down to. And it's really, really powerful. Now there's another verse that I think you want to look at. And that is Hebrews. So just flip over there toward the back of your Bible to uh, Hebrews. If you got to James or Peter, you've gone too far. But it's Hebrews. And it's Hebrews chapter 5. And I love this little passage. And I want you to see it. And he's writing to these believers. Now let, let me just say something. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. But apparently, as a Jewish person for sure, and it most likely was somebody that had background in the priesthood because of all the things that he said. He sure knew the the Old Testament, let me just say this. And he's writing to these believers who started out good. They were Jewish people who became Christians, of course. And then they went back under the law, and they quit growing. And so he's writing them, and one aspect that he's telling them is this. He says, by this time, you should be what? teachers listen look at verse 12 by, oh, by this time you ought to be teachers you need somebody else to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of god listen can you go backwards in other words could you learn some stuff and grow as a christian and then kind of mess up and quit growing and go backwards and actually forget stuff that you used to know Can you, it happened to me Listen, I grew for a while, and then I didn't grow for a while. And then when I came back and started growing, there were things that I said, I thought I used to know that. but now I know I'm beginning to see this again. And so he says, by this time, you should be teachers. Let me ask you a question. Don't even think about this. How long you been a believer, and if you've been a believer for any length of time, you ought to be what? You ought to be teaching other people. You know, we all say, well, I'm not ready yet. Well, how long have you been a Christian? 30 years. You know, 30 years. You know, it, it's time that a person trusts Christ. Listen, within it doesn't even have to be very long after they trust Christ that they could take what they know and help pass on to other people. They just don't know very much yet. But as time goes by, they ought, he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But what he says, you need milk. He goes on to say, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need milk and not solid food, for everyone who takes milk is just a baby. He says, you're still a baby. You know when Paul wrote to the Corinthians? He said the same thing. He said, I wrote to you, but you're still babies. I, was go- I gave When I first came, I gave you baby stuff. I-, I started you out with the basics. He said, but now I want to give you something else, but I still have to give you the basics because you're still babies. That's what he said. And isn't it funny how many Christians that we know that they've been saved for years and they're still babies. It's because they've never grown. They've never taken a course. They've never never studied the Bible on their own. They've never got into this thing. They never understood about being a disciple. Those kind of things. And then he says... So By this time, you ought to be teachers, but now you need milk. And then he says, but, but you need solid, you know you, need, you should have solid food. And he says, you want to be able to be mature, to be able to discern good from evil. So let me tell you, if you want to know, are you mature? You need to be a teacher. You need meat. You need to be able to get the meat. You need to understand it. And you need to be able to discern right from wrong good from evil and that's what he says he says by this time you ought to be a teacher but you still need milk instead of solid food solid food is for the mature we tell people to take the 412 and we call it 412 foundations and i hear people say oh that's the basics i've been a christian a long time i said you don't even know you don't even know the foundations the foundations aren't baby things the foundations are the things you have to know. This is why Brian teaches it every semester, and it's the foundational truths, not baby truths. It's foundational truths, and so by this time, many of us in this room, we ought to be teachers. We don't. We need. We need to have solid food. We need to be a teacher with meat, and knowing right from wrong, being able to discern right from wrong. Powerful, powerful, powerful. It's powerful truths. In 1 Corinthians, let me, the person who did my, did these slides put this up here. He said there are three kind of people, and he put it natural man, mature man, and a baby. And, and I think it's a little bit different than that. Let me tell you what I think it is. I think we, if you go to that Corinthian passage, and we're not going to turn there, but there is the natural man, and then there is the fleshly man, and then there's the spiritual person. He has all three. In from chapter two to chapter three, he talks about a spiritual man, a natural man, and a ba- and a fleshly man. He not say, He says babe, but he says you're fleshly. Fleshly means you're controlled by the what? The flesh. Spiritual means you're controlled by the what? Spirit. And a natural man is a person that's what? The unbeliever. You can look at the, people are either unbelievers or they're controlled by the flesh. That control by the Spirit. And if you're controlled by the Spirit, over a length of time, you become what? Mature. And so all the people we meet are either going to be unbelievers, fleshly, or spiritual. And what we hope is the ones that are spiritual, if you're a lot more spiritual than you are fleshly, you'll end up probably getting mature over a period of time. So that that's a, so what have we seen? We've seen the change, the control, and the time. So let me give you, I think we got some conclusions. Let's think about this, and these are, I guess this is the summary. Yeah, the first one is this. The goal of every believer is to become spiritually mature, conformed to the image of Christ. Now, we we could say we want to be spiritual. Yeah, we want to be spiritual, but you can be spiritual uh, for one minute, and you can be fleshly the next minute. The ultimate goal is to be mature. To be like Jesus Christ. To no longer be a child tossed to and fro, but grow in the grace of knowledge and to the maturity which belongs to Christ and all of those things. And uh, uh, Ryrie says this. You don't have to write this down. He says, Maturity is the growth which the Holy Spirit produces over time in the believer. He says, Maturity is the growth which the Holy Spirit produces over time in the believer. That's what we want to be. We want to be mature people. We want to be spiritual. There's no doubt about that because being spiritual means we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. But we want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit long enough that we become a mature person. The second thing is that we understand that the process begins at salvation the moment we trust Christ and with the re- change of regeneration and the indwelling. That's the only two. There's so many other things we could talk about. The sealing, the spirit, giving the spiritual gifts. We could talk about all of those different things. All I wanted you to see tonight were those two things, regeneration and indwelling. And then the third thing is we mature as we live in God's power, knowing and applying God's word. And that's why, this is why when I think of the Christian life, I, I think of it simply as a walk of faith in the power of what? Of the Holy Spirit. Based on what? The Word. Based on the Word of God. A walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the the Word of God. That's the walk of the Christian life. I think we have a couple of verses I think, yeah, there they are. This is two of the verses for the test. You know, I say, walk by the Spirit, do not carry out the the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.16, and then 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Both of those are talking about being filled and walking and living out the Christian life. It's powerful truths.